Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. It's just nice to be back. And uh, and if you don't, I mind you, some people probably don't know I've even been away because Ian Payne was sitting here last week, bless his heart, and uh, he was doing the programme for three days whilst I was in uh, having my procedure. I prefer to call it a procedure as opposed to angioplasty, which makes it sound really quite exciting, doesn't it? It makes it sound as though it's something really, really serious, which, of course, it is quite serious because lots of people have it done. There will be people getting themselves ready this morning to go and have their angiogram and their angioplasty. And if you've never had the procedure done before, this is for those people who suffer from angina. Uh, People uh, who walk a little way and then you get chest pains and it hurts. And the reason it hurts is because the blood is trying to force itself through a narrowed artery, an an artery that has sort of slimmed down a little bit. So I always try, pardon me, liken it to a, to a, a pipe coming out of a washing machine that's blocked. And the water doesn't drain away. It drains away very, very slowly. And that's exactly how it is inside your heart. So uh, I have already got stents in. I've got four stents in. I've now got an extra two. So I'm now six. I'm a six boy with uh, with stents. And uh, and I got the chest pain back again. And I put off, put off, put off, put off. And then eventually I went to the doctors and I said, listen, I'm getting chest pains back again. So he gave me a, a spray and uh, made me an appointment to go and see a consultant at the at the hospital called Nick, who was brilliant absolutely brilliant and uh, then he introduced me to the surgeon they explained the procedure and I got booked in so on the Wednesday I toodle off you can't have anything to eat or drink after five in the morning so I finished my last cup of coffee uh, and I'd, I'd eaten the day before so I didn't really need to eat anything anyway and they say take a book and pyjamas so I took a book and pyjamas I'd read the book in half an hour the pyjamas I didn't need because you put the hospital gown on and they don't want to keep you in overnight unless it's really serious they don't want to keep they want to get rid of you which is probably the best thing to do in my case. All I wanted was ice cold water. I said yesterday, ice cold water would be delicious. Ice cold water would be lovely. And so I thought, if I was going to buy them a gift, I'd buy them a year's supply of ice cold water in one of those machines, which is chill. Because when you come out of surgery, I could have drunk a river. I mean, seriously, I was so thirsty. And they went, would like a cup of tea? And I went, yeah, water. Water would be nice. Water would be lovely. And they offer you a sandwich, but I didn't really feel like eating anything. I just wanted nice lolly. If they'd had a fridge with ice lollies in it, even cheapo, cheapo ones, you know, I mean, I know that the NHS is short of money, but, you know, if you could buy them a fridge freezer and you could go to Iceland and buy about 300 boxes of their lollies, which are a pound for 10, 10 pence a lolly, that would be somebody like, would you like a lolly? Sorry. It's like if you fly Virgin... Halfway through the flight, they sort of wake you up after you've sort of gone to... Well, you don't have any choice. You're going to sleep now, OK? Pull the window blinds down and let's all go to sleep. And then you wake up and they give you an ice cream. It's a tub. Uh, and you think, and that's just the best thing you can ever have. When you wake up, everybody should be allowed to eat an ice cream because it cleanses the palate. You feel great about it. So that's what I'd like. I'd like a fridge full of ice lollies in there. And we can all have an ice lolly. Even a machine! I wouldn't mind paying for an ice. It wouldn't bother me paying for an ice lolly. I couldn't care less. But uh, have me water and all the rest of it. So I have an hour and a half of surgery, which is where they uh, they don't knock you out. You just have to lie horizontal, doing a slight impression of sort of half a crucifixion because you've got one hand by your side and then you've got stickers all over your chest and all that. How it works with ladies, I've got no idea. 
But for men, you, I mean, literally, your body's covered. It must have had about 12 on. And that's to monitor you whilst you're having the procedure. And uh, they give you enough, what I call, happy juice to make you feel like you don't feel anything. And you don't feel anything. You re- Probably if I'd watched it, I'd have gone, oh, God. In fact, even thinking about it makes me go, ooh, like that. But it doesn't hurt because they give you the anaesthetic in your hand, but you're wide awake for it. And I had this big disc over my head, which was moving slowly backwards and forwards as it's monitoring your brain. So presumably, if you do have a heart attack, it registers in the brain. So that perhaps that's why they're doing it. That's just why they're doing it. They, they, they could probably see that something happens and they don't want it to all go wrong. But it was perfect. They were perfect in there. Absolutely perfect. But uh, it's afterward. They keep you for six hours afterwards. The most boring, bloody six hours of my entire life. I would have had more fun soaring up sequoia trees in California than I had sitting in a bit. Because you can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to toilet. But you should go to the toilet to wee out all the things that you don't need. And uh, and you're connected up still to the uh, to the cardiology machine thing, which is sort of doing monitoring, and they're doing your blood pressure. But it's all. I was going to say it's it's painless. It is painless. You don't you don't feel it. I mean, you know, if you inject, you'll know what it's like uh, this morning. That was my my driver's fear this morning. He said the one thing that he feared was, and I thought he was going to say something like cancer because I said cancer, and he said diabetes. Now he's a black African. He's he's fairly high <coughs> high up the list of getting diabetes and uh, but he's he's 59 he won't mind me telling you that um and that's his his fear of getting diabetes and I said well it's manageable I said I manage it I've had it for years and I'm managing it but ever since I've had the procedure because once they open up the artery it's like woo we're flowing again and uh, and you can do things like walk and you can you know go upstairs without at the end going oh it hurts so I haven't had any of that which is lovely so my thanks to all the team I thanked them the other day and I heard you know, earlier on, there's a piece in one of the papers today, Lorraine Kelly's talking about the NHS um, and saying how it saved her life. And uh, twice the NHS has saved my life. You know, they could have just gone, oh, go away, go, go and pay for it or something like that. But I paid into the NHS for years, so I'm kind of claiming back. And as I've got to this particular age, because people always say that, they say, oh, you could have gone private. I don't think the service would have been any better at all. I really don't think it could have been any better. It's about as near perfect as it gets. The consultant then comes to see you afterwards and uh, and then passes you clear and goes, yep, and uh, shows you the pictures and all the rest of it. And you sort of go, well, there we go. We are fully fighting fit and we can do it. It's going to take probably about a week or so to actually get back to 100%. But, I mean, I think I'm about 80% there which is good and uh, unfortunately this week I'm back in for I've got to go back for another diabetes test I got that phone call while I was just coming out of surgery and then tomorrow I've got an eye test for diabetes there's no end to hospitals honestly who'd have ever thought you get to this age of mine for for (laughs) something and um, and then and they sort of go you've got to go to hospital for something and you go oh bottom you know but you've got to go in there haven't you you've got to go in there and have it done and people have operations done every day if you're going in for an operation today it will be fine they do it all the time it's only because we're scared of the unknown if you've never had stents put in before or you've never had uh, an angiogram it will be new it will be new but there's no pain involved at all there's nothing at all that you know it's just all you've got to do is get used to lying on your back so if you're listening, Sarah Harding, at the moment, I was just thinking, you know, maybe if you were going in for, for any of that sort of cardiology stuff. Oh, there is a story about Sarah Harding. I've just remembered there is. Apparently, five years ago, she had a fling for six weeks with Danny Dyer, according to the papers. But strangely enough, she didn't know that he had a girlfriend. She thought he was single. Well, 
Anybody with half a brain cell, so we have to exclude Sarah Harding again, knows that Danny Dyer's had a long-time girlfriend. OK, he might have had other flings. I'm not that naive to think that, you know, somebody who's very, very famous and very popular wouldn't have had flings. And she was probably just another one. But she apparently was quite hurt about it. Now she doesn't want to talk about it. Which means they're obviously negotiating the story price of how she'll tell you how she had an affair with Danny Dyer. Yawn, yawn, blooming yawn. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Have you noticed how they're trying to do this damage limitation for Camilla, turning her into, into Queen Camilla? All of a sudden it's like Camilla's here, Camilla is... Whereas in fact she was having it off with Prince Charles long before Diana came on the scene. And that's why, you know, I did feel a little bit sad. You have to put, you know, I know there are Diana haters. Believe you me, there are Diana haters. There's probably Camilla haters as well. I don't hate her. I think she's very nice and she seems to fit in. But, you know, they really needn't have bothered to, uh, to, sort, of, to sort of cock up this, this complete marriage thing by inviting her to the service. Diana didn't know who she was. Diana had no idea. Read, read Andrew Morton's book. You know, when, when she said to Martin Bashir, well, the problem was there were three of us in our relationship. She thought it was just her and Prince Charles. Sucker. No. He'd been sleeping with Camilla for years. Years. And he couldn't marry her because she was married to Andrew Parker Bowles, who had been out, I believe, before with a member of the royal family who sort of then sort of mentioned her to Charles. And so that's how it works. But you have to realise you're dealing with with the upper echelons of society, they think that's nothing to sort of start sharing your wife out with somebody else. You know, and if the, the future king of England, you know, takes it upon himself. I, don't, I mean, the whole thing was just a bit bizarre. So Diana didn't know what, what was going on. She thought she was getting married to the future king of England, which she did. And she was having the children, which she did. But he was having sex with Camilla. And so, you know, the moment Diana died, it was all, you know, they weren't, but they, they weren't bothered. I know it seems a bit harsh. They don't, they don't care. But that's when the Royals' PR machine, you know, swung into action. And it's incredible. They do this damage limitation. And in fact, the book, I believe, about Camilla, I think it's Penny Juna's. Well, Penny Juna and Prince Charles are like joined at the hip. Absolutely. I mean, it's sort of, they've been, they've been very good friends for ages. I think she's interviewed him on numerous occasions. I think they are friends. So, of course, she's going to be sticking up for Charles and sticking the knife in to Diana, because, you know, if, if it's like, I don't know, I'd equate it to somebody else in your life. But you try and think about it. There you are married and in a, in a situation, and then all of a sudden it turns out that your husband or wife has been having an affair for years and years. Yeah. Penny Juna has written a book on Charles and Diana, Portrait of a Marriage, and uh, she's, I mean, she's done loads of things. She's done Richard Burton, John Major, Margaret Thatcher, George Harrison, Eric Clapton. And uh, stuff like that. But she is a fan of uh, of Charles. She's a fan. So the book is going to be slightly biased. And the way you read some of the things about poor Diana, you know, the boys must be absolutely horrified. Why don't the boys turn round to their father? But they can't, of course, and go, can we stop this bashing of our mother by your friends? You know, today you've got uh, threatening calls from Diana and how Camilla became Britain's most hated woman. But Diana was married to Prince Charles. He was the one having it away with Camilla. you think the boys would have turned round. You know, whilst, whilst we've got Harry up there at the moment talking about how embarrassing to walk behind the coffin, why hasn't he said to his father, will you stop your friends writing ghastly stuff about our mother? Thank you very much indeed. But they won't do it, will they? Because it doesn't work like that. It just really doesn't. And the Queen will always defend Charles. Always. It's just the way they work. 
This is LBC with Steve Allen. Poor Brooklyn Beckham, the failure at football, the failure at making a cup of coffee, the failure at taking photographs. He can't skateboard either. There's not a lot going on, but they've desperately tried to sort of turn him into a photographer. But as somebody said, if he's going to university or college to learn how to be a photographer, why have they wasted their time and money bringing out a book of photographs, which quite clearly is rubbish. Rubbish. They've called him Craparazzi. The pictures are out of focus. He doesn't appear to know anything. You do better off looking at my photos on my phone than you would of anything with Brooklyn Beckham's name on it. He knows nothing about photographs, quite clearly. That's why he's going to university. So why would you want to buy a book? They had a launch the other night. What for? First time the whole family were together. They dragged everybody in except Harper. She was obviously going, I'm not going to that. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Can't take pictures. Take a picture of me. As I say, if he was any good, Victoria would have used him for taking pictures of her collection. She'd have uh, let him take pictures of David Beckham at the gym without taking their own photographer out. But uh, no, they let him bring out this book of stupid photos, out of focus, not even technically clever. I mean, really shows no ability apart from a three-year-old taking photographs. Everybody could take a photograph. I could take photographs. I could take my clothes off now, you wish, and I could take photographs of myself, you know, in various angles and poses... And you'd be going, well, it's a lot better than Brooklyn Beckham's photographs. And the answer is, of course it is. I've got more to show. I've got more to show in the fact that, you know, I am an art installation. You know, by the time Tracy Emin had come round with her unmade bed, I'd been doing that for 25 years. It's just I'd never thought about taking a photograph of it. So then I started leaving pants over the floor and things like that, you know, and calling it my day. And stuff like that. I was going to take pictures of me in hospital. And then I wasn't really sure whether or not you're allowed to take pictures of you in hospital. Because it might sort of breach security. So I took pictures of, um, of thing, needles in my, uh, in my wrist. And that made me feel physically ill. So I decided I wasn't going to put those up on the internet either. But people take pictures of everything, don't they? There is nothing. I mean, having sex in a fire engine, excuse me. Are you too poor for a Premier Inn? Can you not afford a travel lodge? No, we've managed to find a vacant fire engine. So we'll climb in there and she will have thanks with somebody. I mean, we don't know who they are. She'll be identified. Somebody will go, that's my granny. Because uh, she's fairly old. I mean, she doesn't exactly look young. Mind you, to get up into a fire engine now, you've got to be fairly fit. But um, it's, it's, there are obviously swingers sites uh, on the internet. People go onto the internet to find... Swingers sites, and so it says this is where you can meet other people who want to swing. I thought, if you want to swing, go to the park. There's loads of swings in our park. And, uh, and Darren says, I listen to you every morning on hashtag LBC. I must ask, what have you got against the Beckhams? Oh, where do you want me to start? Where would you like me to start? I mean, put it this way. OK, David, who played football donkeys years ago now, and uh, lost his temper at Glastonbury. She lost her temper at Glastonbury because he'd wandered off and left her, so she's obviously not very good by herself. She sort of sells clothes to... Somebody. And uh, he props up the business. Uh, he just advertises whiskey, which he doesn't drink because he's a gin and tonic man, apparently. And he sells underpants. And now Brooklyn Beckham, who failed at being a barista, failed at being a footballer, failed at being a skateboarder, not very successful with women, brings out a book of photographs that are out of focus. Hello? <laughs> Where's the problem? Where is the problem? You know, all the experts. I can only go by the experts. And the experts say he can't take photographs. In fact, he's going to uni, apparently, at some point, because we don't know whether or not he goes to school or not. Uh, we're not too sure about. It's this never-ending quest, loads of publicity, to make sure that they're sort of 
constantly in the press, but without actually doing anything. For Dave to stand there wearing a pair of pants is not exactly complicated. For her to wander around in clothes that don't fit because she's an emaciated little stick insect. I mean, she is a broom handle with a pair of uh, ping-pong balls on the top of it. That's what it is. But, you know, to bring out a book of photographs and try and claim that this is of some art and interest to people is just nothing short of ludicrous. He cannot take photographs. Arthur Edwards, you know, the great Arthur Edwards, he said, they're out of focus. You know, you can't even do the basic putting something... He'd be better off taking pictures on his mobile phone. Don't give him a camera. That's written. They go, oh, because he likes taking photographs. Well, I like flying spacecraft. Steve Allen on LBC. Somebody says, uh, hope you're well. While you were away, you missed Katie Price performing her new song on Big Brother's Big Mouth with Ryland live. I'm not sure if you can get it on catch-up, but I believe it's something you should see just for the radio feedback. Unfortunately, there is a picture of poor old Katie past her sell-by Price in the paper today. She looks so old. So old and haggard. You know, because it's so... So exhausting having to do a reality show. She keeps telling us it's her crazy life. It's just a fake programme where she'll pretend that she's sort of she's out there and she's this and people people sort of listen to what the price he says. Unfortunately, nobody listens to what the price he says because every time she opens her mouth, it's the biggest pile of garbage you've ever heard. It's so worrying. But luckily, she's got uh, she's got the children to have photographs taken of. I would very much doubt that she could sing live. She can't sing for Toffee anyway. But uh, also, nobody's interested. Seriously not. Uh, I mean, they're really not interested in Katie Price. It's just, it's a. I feel a bit sorry for her, really, because life is passing her by. You know, the kids will be dating shortly, and uh, and then she'll have competition, because they'll be wanting their own shows on the television. Uh, in the meanwhile, I don't know if they've started showing Katie Price, My Mad Crazy World, but of course she's not because she's quite nasty. In fact, she's very, very nasty. And we got a bit of Katie Price singing her new song. We say singing. We're not sure if it is actually singing. She was doing it on Loose Women because that's all she's got now. This is her own little outlet. Again, I've said to you before, the other Loose Women must be sick as parrots because this is a vehicle for Katie Price. Nobody's interested. So uh, here she is and uh, she's going to sing for you now. So uh, brace yourselves. Got the cotton wool handy. Fingers and ears. Take it away, Katie. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but she can't dance either. She's got as much movement as my Auntie Enid, and she's been incapacitated for many a year. This is dreadful, isn't it? My body. Oh, dear God. Look, you can see the audience sitting there, Colleen going, this is really awful. And it... She can't sing, can she? Colleen trying to look as though she's getting hip with it. Yeah, I'm getting down with the groove. And, and Ruth Langsford sitting there, face immobile. That's really good. And the two dancers who look like they've wandered out of a gay bar somewhere. Very embarrassing. It's like an early sort of gay tune. And it's just... Well, they're trying to get the crowd going. Oh, look, Ruth's clap. Get her off. Get her off. Very embarrassing, isn't it? She can't sing. I mean, it's just terrible, isn't it? No, not I know, it's I know. Here we go. 
There's about as much energy and passion in this song as, frankly, a bit of cold custard. It's the same line. Ha, no, ha, no. And she, there's no... except She doesn't smile. She doesn't do anything. I'm not surprised. I'd be embarrassed as well. We've had enough of that. Thank you very much indeed. Sorry to put you through that, but if it doesn't get you out of bed on a Thursday morning, nothing else will. So that was her singing. I use the term loosely. Poor soul, honestly. But also, there's no... You know, when people are singing poppy songs, they're like, yeah, woo, here I go. Come on. Ah, no. Ha, no. And it, but nothing. As wooden as Sherwood Forest and as boring and as bland with the most dull, boring, monotonous little voice you've ever heard. Ha, no. Ha, no. God, I'm surprised she didn't bring the kids on so they could dance around her like a maypole or something. Uh, I tuned in. I thought you were broadcasting live, Steve. From a home for injured cats. Then I realised it was Katie Price making that noise. It would have been cruel to keep animals in that much pain. And Tess says, my poor dog just put his paws over his ears in agony. What a racket! Terrible. I mean, it really is embarrassing. Um, (laughs) The voice kids will knock spots off Katie Price, says Anne-Marie. Thank you. I, I haven't seen the voice kids. I've seen the trailers for... I don't want to see it. They sound like precocious. You know, I'm sure they're all lovely and wonderful human beings, and that's about it. Steve, I thought the whaling was a news update with a report on the opening of the fox hunting season, says John. But it was Katie Price. I know. Isn't it just... The funny thing is, she said... I bet they will... You can imagine Colleen afterwards going... (sighs) Did you hear her? She can't sing for toffee, can she? And we'd all be going, no, she can't sing for toffee. I need to take a break. I need a lie down or a cold shower or something. Steve Allen on LBC. Is Love Island a reality show too far? The answer is, um, it's trying to get an audience. And as anybody tries to get an audience on television, they'll push it, push it as far as they can. They, 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 they manage to find the himbos, which is the ones who, who look like they've sort of wandered out of a gay magazine. And they manage to find girls who sort of, when you ask them what they do, they go, I'm oh, like, model. Sorry? Model. Well, I've, I've been to an agency. And, and they said, if I get, get my boobs out, I can be model. And you think, oh, it's lovely. And then they say, they're going to get me into movies as well. They're sort of, they're, they're sort of adult-type movies, but I've had a word with my mum, and I've not told her that bit. That's what they're like in Celebrity Love Island. It, it really is. It's, it's the pitifully talentless. But that's what people seem to want on television. The, it turns out the TV critics kind of like it. They think it's OK. Uh, it's just, I think it's a bit sad, isn't it? That's, that's the best people can get. It's like appearing on that dating show on the television. Start naked. <laughs> I watched another programme the other day. It might be called, it's where people go out to a restaurant, and they bring somebody in, and they sit down and have a meal. And and then you have to decide if you actually like the person you're with. And then afterwards they say, so would you be going on another date? And some of them do, some of them don't. But I'm always interested that they're there with sort of somebody with, with a camera. And they go, actually, my wife left me 40 years ago. And you think, oh, God, how boring. Nobody wants to know about that if you're going on a date. And then there was another one, some woman. And you could tell that the bloke was the most boring git under the sun. Nobody wanted to go out with him. He said, but if, if, he said, eventually I will find somebody and I will click. And I thought, not in your lifetime, you won't. You're boring me and I don't even know you. But the waiter will sort of come over and then we had a lesbian couple. We get that all the time now on the television, don't we? We seem to have more, you know, I think, uh, didn't Kelly Maloney go? And they didn't show it on the television because the bloke knew that Kelly was, uh, was trans and then sort of got there and thought, oh, I don't think I want this shown on the television. Like, as I said uh, before, somebody got kicked out of Big Brother and they said, uh, she said on, on parting, well, I've got a life outside of here. And you think, but 
what you go into the programme for. Surely you've seen it before. Were you, did you really think that people thought you were stunning? Did you tell all your friends, oh, I'm going to Big Brother, and then you turn out to be a complete plank? Like the ex-Dream Boy. What a horrible piece of work he is. I'd be glad to see the back of him. Thank you very much indeed. Steve Allen on LBC. Oh, look, a lovely picture of Emily Ratajowski floating her boat and showing you her bottom. So she's obviously gone out with a photographer and said, can you just bend over, love? We get a good picture of your bum. And uh, so she's done it because she's obviously uh, easy. And uh, she's 26, showing off her, uh, her curves with her boyfriend. It's nice, isn't it, really? Just what you really want to see in the paper today. Isn't that called sexist? You know, why, you, you know, why aren't we being shown his bottom? You know, what do we have to see her bottom for all the time? What do you assume? Everybody who reads the Sun newspaper or looks at pictures of that is heterosexual? I don't think so. But apparently Emily's recently signed up to join Amy Schumer in an upcoming comedy movie, I Feel Pretty. Yes, because we've never actually seen any evidence of uh, Emily Adjanki uh, doing any acting, but she's got a great arse, OK? <laughs> I'll chuck that one in for you. Leading Britain's conversation, LBC, with Steve Allen. Why is the BBC spending your cash on glitter breast video? Because they love wasting money. They're supposed to be saving money. The only way they're going to save money is Axe BBC Local Radio. All of them. And, uh, you know, there are lots of rumours doing the rounds that this might be on the cards and just have maybe a, a local breakfast show for local people and uh, maybe a local drive time programme for nobody. And uh, in between that, have some, some competitions and then do glitter breasts. And, uh, and that'll... But the rest of the time, you can close it down. You don't need it. You don't basically... I mean, who wants to know... You know, whether or not there's a dog show on over the weekend. You don't, you don't need to know things like that. You can all read a newspaper. So I don't think BBC Local... It's very sweet, uh, but it's a little bit dated. The money they could save on it, you know, would be, would be quite phenomenal. You could save quite a little bit. And seeing as I own part of it because I pay a licence fee... Well, I think I pay. Um, you know, I, I also am advocating... Let's, let's close down... You know, all of them. Because I don't know how many BBC local stations there are, but I'm assuming there must be a fair few. You know, most places, you know, there must be BBC Radio Blackburn, BBC Radio Birmingham, BBC Radio Leeds, uh, BBC Radio everything. There must be loads and loads of them. And it's a bit difficult. 30 local radio? Oh, there's got to be loads more than 30. Loads more than 30. There's a BBC local radio in every, every place, isn't there? Every place you can think of. How many counties have we got in this country? Because that's how many local radios you'll find. Because there's BBC Radio Essex. There must, be, there must be loads of them. How many counties are there in this country? Because that's how many local radios there will be. So I slurped my coffee this morning. So sorry. But it's Tuesday. I'm allowed to do things like that. When you've had surgery, you can, you can slurp coffee. So however many counties there are, that's how many local radios there'll be. You could literally close down... All of them. And I don't think it would make any difference. Only to a few people, like the local vicar, who probably has a show on a Sunday. 50. There you go. That's just in England. 50. So, I mean, you could save a bit of money. You know, even if, you know, each one cost million a year, I would think, to run a local radio station. Million a year, because they don't have advertising. So that's £50 million you've saved. You can make a fortune. There's four in Scotland, two in Wales... Soon to be three, you see. Terrible waste of money. And uh, two in Northern Ireland, or Northern Ireland, which is a new place just off the, uh, the coast. So uh, I've forgotten how many there is now. F- three, four, five, that's seven. So it's about, just say, say it's 60. 60 local radio. Just lose them. Just lo- Nobody'd care. 
you know, people get over it after a while. But of course, you probably find the government to step in. You know, we need local stations for local people. No, you don't. You can do it all from London. You can do everything for London. It's so much easier that way. And you just have... Think of all those buildings that could be turned into, into flats and things like that. They do what? They do it from Sol... Oh, it's all done from Salford, is it now? Oh, right. Oh, they've moved... Oh, that one's from... Is it really? Good Lord. Salford. Have you been to Salford? I went there once. It was closed. It's a ghastly place. Salford Keys or something. I can't remember what it is. And they sort of offered people huge amounts of money. They just love wasting money, don't they? They're just very good at wasting money to bring themselves into the real world. You know, I'd love to find out, actually, if I went through. I'd love to spend a day on all the different radio programmes that I'm aware of and see how many people are working on them and exactly what they do. That would be the interesting thing, especially this time of the morning. So why is the BBC... Spending cat- uh, cash on glitter breast video. Uh, the glitter boobs video, uh, it's been filmed a woman showing a woman how to put glitter on her breasts. I, know, I, I couldn't quite get it either. But anyway, um, apparently this is a, a look which they also used at Glastonbury. Uh, the clip posted on a BBC Facebook page under the headline, Shake Your... And then the rude word for, for breasts... Um, it's Friday. It was still circulating yesterday, posted on YouTube. MPs and campaigners are questioning why the BBC was showing such content. One Labour MP said she feared it was a desperate attempt to demonstrate relevance without considering the consequences. Helen Lewington of Media Watch says parents trust the BBC and may not realise that BBC The Social contains content which is inappropriate. It's a minute-long video made by BBC Scotland. Other clips included Kilted Yoga which sees two men wearing nothing but kilts revealing their buttocks. On the BBC. A spokesman said the overwhelming response had been positive. Add, of course it has, you're showing porn. Goodness sake. The social has a specific remit to create content aimed at 18 to 34-year-olds, and the topics covered are fed by our audience. In this case, the content was all produced by young women and aimed at their peers. Are they sort of people who are auditioning for Love Island, maybe, at the same time? So here's how you put glitter on your boobs. All right, like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's on the BBC. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. Uh, something that could be recommended. Uh, Ian says, uh, loving the BBC bashing. I think it's just, it's just putting it out there because they keep telling us they're trying to save money. Well, I'm helping them out. I'm, Axe the One Show, that'd be a very good start. Loads of people hanging around there doing nothing. And um, how about abolishing the licence fee, says Ian, and make it subscription? Then they'd have to exist in the real world and budget for the people who want to pay for their channels. Yes, exactly. Uh, You're now going to have to pay for BBC Local Radio. So you can take out a subscription to it. And they go, well, we can't do that. I mean, the administration involved would be astronomical. I mean, you, you really don't know what half these people do, do you? I'm always intrigued by it. But there again, I'm in commercial radio. You know, in commercial radio thrives on, you know, people who really want to work for a living as opposed to just people who wander around aimlessly looking like zombies. That's most of the BBC. I mean, you've only got to go, go past Portland Place if you're in London and have a look in the newsroom. Try and work out who's working and who's not. Because I always love it. It's like watching Sky News. That's always interesting to see people arriving in in the morning, you know, and they turn up and... Uh, where I am? Where am I? It's Sky, dear. Oh... And that's the only place where they seem to have five presenters for doing a news programme, which must have a really tiny audience. Really, really tiny. I mean, Steve Dixon the other day was resorted to showing us his foot. His foot! That was considered a news item for Steve Dixon. 
poor soul. And they had two people reviewing the papers. There were two old men, who I'm assuming they dug up from some cemetery somewhere, and they bring them in there, and they obviously thought they were going to be funny. They weren't. They weren't funny or even interesting. Two news presenters. How many people does it take to read autocue? It really is ridiculous, but it was when Steve Dixon started showing us his feet. I began to wonder whether or not we've completely lost all sense of reality. And then they had some girl coming in. Now, she could have done sport or she could have done weather. We're vastly overstaffed, you know, on a lot of these these broadcasters. The BBC, as I say, ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, so I wouldn't like to imagine how many people that must be there putting out one of their evening bulletins. Probably about 30 or 40, if not more. Mind you, Sky have got... Hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people sitting there doing whatever. I've got no idea. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that if you sort of, if you sort of watch BBC Breakfast, which I mean, you know, a few people do, you can guarantee, guarantee, I could put money on it every single day that Carol Kirkwood, who does the weather, will be on location somewhere for no reason. All you want to know on the weather is, don't you? I used to read the weather out on this programme, and to be brutally honest with you. Nobody cares. I've, I've done the right thing and I've said, listen, we'll probably get some rain in London today. And you had it in Scotland yesterday and probably by the end of the week we'll all have had some rain. OK, end of story. What else do you want to know? There is nothing else to learn about it. And yet Carol Kirkwood, some ageing person on the weather front, you know, who they, they I think they've had. Have they not put everybody on the breakfast programme on the Strictly Come Dancing? But she has done Strictly. They've all done it. Poor old Naga Manchetti. There's a career that went nowhere. You know, she probably thought it was going to be all something going to offer loads of other programmes and everything else. And no, they're still persevering with the Welsh one on the one show. And they still can't manage to flog her to anybody. It's all very embarrassing. But, you know, they, they all are on there. And you think, it's a weather person. Whether she's standing in front of a green screen, a blue screen, makes no difference to me. Who get, They say, oh, and here she is and she'll be at Glastonbury doing the weather. Or she'll be at Goodwood. Or she'll be at a racing track. Or Donington. Or in the middle of a field. Who cares? It's a waste of everybody's time. If I was running it, Wimbledon, she'll be standing there at Wimbledon. They'll have a plate of strawberries. There'll be a crew of about seven people down there just to bring you some ridiculous weather thing. Small wonder the producer of EastEnders has gone. Mind you, it's like most of EastEnders' audience, isn't it, really? I mean, that really is. It's fallen off the edge. Four and a half million they're under now. Emmerdale Farm as was with the farm and everything else, and a bar, and, and drugs, and homosexuality, and affairs, and murders, and everything else. That's getting a bigger audience, that, and they'd say the new producer's going to shake it up and get rid of some of the characters that don't work. Should we start with Lee Ryan? God, I could run through the entire families there. Let's get rid of the market. Let's get rid of the market. Let's try and bring it up to date, because that audience has tumbled. When I used to watch it, years and years ago, when I was a much younger person with hair, that, you know, it was getting an audience of 10 million. It was always Coronation Street and EastEnders. EastEnders has fallen off the boil. The last producer quit. He's obviously realised that, you know, you can't do anything. You can't save it. Do we really think in the East End it's all, you know, all right, mate, all go blimey and all that? Game? Of course it isn't. There's not even a mosque in EastEnders. You know, we're in the East End and there's no mosque. Do, I've not even heard the call to prayer on the programme. They're so out of touch. They've still got a fish and chip shop. Where's the kebabs? You can't move in the East End for kebab shops. Ridiculous, honestly. Where's all the Greek restaurants? Should we loads of things? Nothing. Nothing at all. Just a one pub. There's not even two pubs. Steve, more money this week wasted on the BBC. We're putting in an equestrian arena at the Blue Peter Studio in Salford on Wednesday. Now, on Friday, I daren't tell you the cost. 
but it's uh, a lot of money. An equestrian arena in Salford? What's that for? They're not going to get sort of <laughs> beggar's belief, doesn't it, really? It's such a terrible waste of money. Or The whole thing on the BBC is a waste of money. In fact, I'm even amazed that Blue Peter is still going. Little Barney Harwood, I think, is going to be going on to a, a cookery programme on the BBC. He's about 70. What's he doing on there? I think mainly because people have forgotten about him. Blue Peter used to be the flagship programme when it was at the BBC Television Centre. And, and I went there on a few occasions to watch the programme and I went up there to watch various friends and do things like that. And, um, and there was loads of people hanging around. Even on this morning, there's quite a big team down there. I should have checked with Martin Frizzell how many people are on this morning's team. Because they, uh, there was one bit with, uh, I think, where uh, Gino De Campo took all his clothes off and stood there naked, and both of them pretended they hadn't looked. You know, you could see Holly Willoughby going, oh, no, couldn't. Philip Schofield had a look. You could see that quite clearly. And um, and then and they sort of cut to all the people who'd come into the studio. There were loads of people. Loads of people. On the one show, what do they do? What do they do? I mean, because quite clearly, they'd, they'd be better off replacing the presenters and having a robot doing it. It's so boring. But, of course, once the BBC is sticking with it, they stick with it for all eternity. So you'll have, you know, the dancing programme on forever. You'll have Claudia Winklebottom in there. She'll be doing it and, and Toss K. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous. So they're building an equestrian arena. God, where does, oh, where does the money... I was going to say, where does the money come from? Us! Steve Allen on LBC. It rained yesterday... In fact, I was sitting in waiting for the uh, for the eye test in the hospital, and it was quite busy actually yesterday. It's amazing how many people can't recognise their own name. Uh, John Smith, John Smith. There's only a small waiting room, you know, and there's and there's about sort of fifteen of us. John Smith, uh, yes. And I felt like saying, "I'm sorry, she's just called you twice. What are you deaf or something?" So it's like the again. I get on the bus and the bell ringing. Bing for the next stop within a minute. Bing, bing, bing. Thank you, driver. Nobody said thank you, driver, yesterday. Mainly because everybody was too wet. It was very wet. But some lady sitting on the bus said, would you like my seat? I must look really old at the moment. I'm really not having a good time with it. No, I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, no, I'm all right, thank you. I was standing here. Because you know when you lurch backwards and forwards, I was clinging onto the strap, trying to look graceful. But, you know, there's no way you can look graceful. I've got my little bag, because I have to take a bag with me. Because I've now got so many bits and pieces I have to take out with me. If you went through my bag, it's all essential stuff. I've got two insulin pens. I've got wallet. My bus pass. I've got uh, some needles. Only a couple of needles. House keys. Car key. Umbrella. Two packets of coffee and a packet of mashed potato. Don't ask me why I've got a packet of mashed potato. I can't quite work that one out myself. I know, oh, I know why, because I bought it the other day in Costco and I thought, I'll have some mashed potato before I start work. And then I thought, well, that's a bit stupid, isn't it? Why would you want mashed potato before you start work? And it just kind of appealed to me. And then I thought, perhaps I should have brought some cheese in. And then I thought, perhaps I should get a little pot of beans or something. And, have and then in the end, I thought, why don't I just cook a blooming breakfast in here? And I've, I've done with the blooming thing, but no... John Smith. Anybody seen John Smith? No. And then, but I mean, it was it was quite busy. But I was in and out really fast, and it was tipping it down. The lady went, "Oh, typical." I didn't bring an umbrella, and of course, me being me, said I brought an umbrella because I did actually. Um, no, yeah, you do have to do the letters on the board. In fact, you know what she said to me? She said, "I hope you've not tried to memorise them." 
Well, actually, secretly, I was looking at while she was chatting away to me. I'm looking at the board, and I could only get down about three three rows. So she said, "How many rows can you get down?" So I went four. Then she puts this glass thing on. I went one. <laughs> All of a sudden, I went I went from being a sighted person to partially sighted, and. She wasn't that disappointed, really. I think they must have changed the test. Because the one the other time, the light moved inside, the little red light. Follow the light, follow the light, follow the light. And then... And also, she didn't blow air in my eye. They normally do... We didn't do that one. So perhaps it's a new piece of equipment. Perhaps I've had a different eye test. I don't know. But uh, it appeared to be... What they're looking looking for is darkening. Darkening of the uh, cornea. I think, well, I think that's what they're looking I don't know. OK, she could have been looking for a cream bun, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> didn't, didn't really care, actually. But I, I sort of got out of there fairly quickly. But once she put this other thing on, I could read five, five lines. I thought that was very good. Very, very good. I was very impressed by that. I know what you mean about the, uh, the waiting room. I went for a checkup at the sexual health clinic, Steve, and the nurse called out my full name. I complained and said, can't you allocate us a number like you get at the deli counter in the supermarket? Yes, yeah, well, that would be easier, wouldn't it, really? Wayne's in Harlow. Oh, God, you're in the right place to be called Wayne, aren't you? I mean, honestly, <laughs> he said, I'm not, he said, everybody in the waiting room is there because of delicate downstairs issues. Well, the whole of Harlow's a delicate downstairs issue, isn't it? That's where you go for things like that, to collect them and to get rid of them. But you're right, actually, it should be. There was, a, there was somebody in there yesterday waiting for a, a blood test, but there's another clinic there which does downstairs department things. And so she said... Uh, uh, Whatever his name was, I can't remember, you know. She said, are you here for, um, here for the blood test? He went, no. She said, what are you here for? And we're all listening. We're all waiting. And so he, do- he doesn't say, he just gets out a bit of paper and shows it to her. I was tempted to say, come back again, as it? You know, but I didn't. <laughs> Steve Allen on LBC. Boring Wimbledon starts soon, Steve. I know. You know how we know? They'll be sending the boring old weather forecaster out on a BBC local breakfast. And she'll be standing there at Wimbledon. You know, doing her smiley, smiley, Carol, smiley. And today's going to be wet. And they're going to put the covers on and then take them off and then put them on and take them off again. And then we're going to cut to somebody singing. And then we're going to cut to uh, people eating strawberries. And then we're going to... Oh, look, the Beckhams are here again. Oh, look, Brooklyn's taking pictures. Don't let him take pictures. Yeah, it's going to be like that, isn't it? Um, a lot of people not enjoying Wimbledon. You see, I'm not bothered about Wimbledon. The BBC, of course, it's their best freebie of the year. They love that and Glastonbury. And uh, Chelsea Flower Show. Anything where they can get hundreds of people out there. And for Wimbledon, there will be hundreds of people there. All on free passes and everything else. And so, what, what do you do? BBC. <laughs> Researcher. <laughs> OK. Yeah, first year at Wimbledon. I've been every year for the past four years. And uh, what, what do you actually do? I don't do anything. <laughs> just a researcher. I worked on a programme once. And, uh, and I've just got lost in the system. Oh, right. So, have you actually sort of done any radio programmes? No, no. But I do get to sit, you know, watching Centre Court. It's really exciting. <laughs> Researcher. And uh, and I'm, I'm hoping to sort of get to meet Andy Murray. Which <laughs> will be OK, won't it? And they go, oh, right, OK. They're all like that down there. Have you ever met BBC researchers? Oh, my God, it's like finishing school. It really is. Finishing school for sad people. You know. <laughs> I got, got a selfie with Roger Federer three years ago. Such a nice man. My mother thinks I should marry him. <laughs> They're a bit like that. BBC researchers, don't you just love them? Hello, would you like to come this way? It is like a Victoria Woods sketch. The whole thing is a Victoria Woods sketch. Would you like to come this way? Have you been to Wimbledon before? I'll put you in our hospitality room. Jeremy Vine will be with you shortly. Uh, can I get you anything? Tea, biscuits, coffee? Anything? Something? 
You know, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to do, do your beck and go. Water. Would you like some water? We have cold water. We have mineral water. Uh, we have natural fizz. Or we've got the stuff which we've shaken up a lot. Would you like some of that? <laughs> we have some strawberries as well. I'm a researcher. My name's Caroline. And, uh, and I shall be your, your right-hand person. This is, my, this is my mobile number. Please, please try not to call it. Uh, but this is, and if you need anything, just, just, just ring the bell and I shall be back. Can I get you a magazine? Okay. We have a BBC magazine, which has a list of all our jobs in it. But you can't have any because it's just for, just for the BBC. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here, actually, at Wimbledon. Yes, you're right. It's boring for the rest of us. Absolutely. T- Mind you, the best people who got the job there are the Jobsworths on the outside. What's your name, mate? Federer. Never heard of you. Not on my list. Uh, next one coming in. Boris who? Becker? <laughs> no, mate, you're not on the list either. You can get out. McEnroe, you're in straight away. That's how it works, isn't it, Wimbledon? It's, it's the, the old Jobsworths. And then the poor ball boys. Imagine. What would they call you? They call me a ball boy. Well, you'd have to be, dear. Otherwise, you'd be a eunuch. And they'd have to call you a eunuch boy. That would be very sad, wouldn't it? So they have ball boys and ball girls, which is even more interesting. And then every year, they all sit down and they've got the bottle of that uh, famous orange squash, which sits there. Nobody ever drinks it. They've just paid to have it placed there. And every time they go and do a... A sort of a conference. They've got a bottle of water, which is prominently displayed with the name on it because that's what it all is. The BBC, who claim they don't carry advertising, lie through their teeths. They carry advertising on every every football game. Advertising. Otherwise, we'd be going around chopping it all out. And yet, Blue Peter, you can't mention you're using a cornflakes box and a fairy liquid bottle. How does that work out? You watch the product placement on BBC's tennis. You watch it. It'll be everywhere. And the camera will home in on it. It's some, some underhand deal that they've got going on. They used to do it all the time. They, do it, they know they do it. Heavens above, you know. I tell you, it's, it's just, it just gets worse and worse. But it is boring. Why do you have to have Wimbledon on BBC One and BBC Two? Why don't they shove it on BBC Six if it's so blooming important? You know, we don't want... I'm not interested. I know that many of you listening enjoy probably Wimbledon and you probably enjoy the cricket. But for the rest of us, it's boring, boring, boring. So you hit the ball over the net. I hit it back again. I hit it back from this side, you hit it from that side. I miss it on this side, and then a ball boy, ha, 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 comes and picks it up and then has to kneel. I mean, if you've got rickets, you've had it, you know, and you say, I've got bad back. But uh, at least you get to hear Andrew Castle doing the commentary. And that's it. And there'll be a lot of women making lots of noises. That's what it's like, isn't it, at Wimbledon? And we all sit there going, what are they doing? Why do they have to make... Why can't they just do it gracefully, just tap it over the net? You don't have to be aggressive. There's no point. This is Maria Sharapova and Victoria Azarenka playing each other. And then they measure it, and then they show it. They're so bored. They then have to sort of tell you the decibel level of the ball and how fast the ball was going. Who cares? I'm really not interested. I'm trying to look as I'm interested. It's like, it's like I've got a cousin who is a long-distance runner. And to be honest with you, he's very nice, John. He's very nice indeed. But I don't know what to talk about to long-distance runners. We have fit people in our newsroom. You have quite a, quite, a, quite a few fit people, I have to tell you. But, you know, I just, I've got nothing in common with people who go running because they do it. 
and and they seem to derive something out of it. I think it's a substitute for something that Lucy Beresford would discuss on her programme. But I mean, I can't do it. I look ridiculous running. Seriously, I mean, I look like I look like an ostrich. Really, if ever you've seen an ostrich running, I look a bit like that, just not as fast because they're quite fast ostriches. But uh, so Wimbledon. And it'll be the usual strawberries. Bit of a closed uh, shop on the strawberry front. They don't buy them from the cheapest place. There's an old uh, thing going on. It's the same company who's been supplying for years. They grow strawberries, presumably for Wimbledon. And they're so expensive. So I don't know why you can get loads of uh, cheap, Im- cheap imports of strawberries. But uh, these are special ones. And uh, I think we, we do strawberries. A friend of mine tried to get the contract. Oh, closed shop. No chance. It's all, it's all tied up in deals and deals and under deals and all the rest of it. Don't want to go anywhere near it. But I'm sure they'll all sit there with their Panama hats on and we'll end up having to look at Vernon Kay and Mrs Kay sitting there trying to look as though they're interested. James says, uh, those tennis players sound like the pair of foxes in my garden that kept me awake last night. I know, they're very noisy foxes, aren't they? We've got foxes playing tennis. This is something for the X Factor. You need to tell them. You've, you've, are you serious? You've got talent. You've got talent in your garden and you don't even know it. Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from five o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.